Welcome to the God-Centered Concept. I am your host, T.S. Wright. Episode 13, Leveling Up Your Connection to God. In the last episode, we focused on Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're going to continue with that particular passage as we move that into chapter 9. And we're going to read a part of chapter 9. And then we're going to step back here and look at some different components to add on what we talked about in episode 12. So let's get started here right away. If we start with verse 1 of chapter 9 in Deuteronomy, we hear this. Hear, O Israel, today you are about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities fortified to the heavens. The people are strong and tall. The descendants of the Anakim, you know about them. And you have heard it said, who can stand up to the sons of Anak? But understand that today the Lord your God goes across ahead of you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. And you will drive them out and annihilate them swiftly as the Lord has promised you. When the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say in your heart, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Rather, the Lord is driving out these nations before you because of their wickedness. It is not because of your righteousness or uprightness of heart that you're going in to possess their land, but it is because of their wickedness that the Lord your God is driving out these nations before you to keep the promise he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. This particular passage here is both encouraging and also a warning. So, encouraging in the fact that God is with them and that he's going before them and they've already seen what he is capable of doing. They know what God can do and nothing can stand against him. However, it's also a warning because just like at the end of chapter 8, chapter 9, God is explaining to them that Understand this, this is not because of how good you are, but it's really because of how wicked the people are in this land, and I want to possess this land and it to be done in a way that is glorifying me, and that would be God speaking, and that's what God is telling them here. Obviously, Moses is the one speaking to the people, but obviously God is the one that is conveying this through Moses to the people of Israel as they are getting ready to cross into the Jordan. So let's take a moment and really think about this. Do you think that pertains to us today? And if we dial back to the last episode in chapter 8, and we look at the last few verses, start with verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods to worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord has destroyed before you, so you will perish if you do not obey the Lord your God. Well, guess what? That's the problem, is that these peoples that are living in this land, 
that the Israelites are going to go and take from them, and you can read all about that in Joshua, what's going to happen here is they're going to wipe all these people out and move a lot of them out of there. They're going to destroy a lot of them. And the problem becomes is that once Israel gets settled in, they do exactly what God told them not to do, and they forget him. And you'll see, and if you read the book of Judges, you can see this, this pattern develop where Israel does well, they thrive, they start to get complacent, then they start to forget God, and then they start sinning against God, and idolatry creeps in, and then it becomes this thing, and then their enemies have to, God has to use their enemies to do things to them, and then they have to repent and turn back to God, and as they do, then he rewards them for that, is really kind of what that is, and it's a cycle that that just keeps going over and over. Do you ever feel like your walk with Christ is like that? Just ask yourself that question because I'm leading into something here that reverts back to last week. Here it is. Remember when I asked you, are you willing to train and be tested? When we stop training, when we stop and put our hand up and, and really in our own way tell God no more testing because I want to be comfortable then we run into problems because what it really boils down to is we've got to learn that our walk with God is not about our comfortability. You see, and I've, I've heard this expressed in many different ways. The problem is, is in our brain, we tend to relate comfort and peace and love. We kind of entangle those three. But the truth is, faith is what leads to peace and love. All right. It's our faith in the truth. That's what leads to peace and love with God. It's not comfort. Comfort is really a weapon of the enemy. And we need to learn to push comfort aside. We do not need to do things because of comfort. We really don't. We need to step away from that. We need to get rid of that mindset. And it is a mindset that creeps in that the enemy will use against us. He will. Because if you read Deuteronomy, what God is basically saying back in Deuteronomy 8, if you basically get fat and happy, and then you start thinking you're the one that's getting all this done and, and doing all these great things and developing your own wealth and you know creating your own businesses and you've got all this land and you're and it's all because of what you're doing, that's when you run into problems because you get that's when you start pursuing comfort. See, comfort is really idolatry because when you start pursuing it, then what happens is that we automatically, all right, start pursuing something that's outside of God's will to get comfort. We put comfort on the throne, and then we end up putting ourselves on the throne. That is no di different than worshiping another God. And then we start asking, I mean, just hear how this sounds. Then all of a sudden, we start asking God to do all these things for us to highlight our comfort, to make our lives more comfortable. What is that? That is not biblical at all. Matter of fact, that is anti-biblical. If we go and we fast forward into the Gospels, and I'll just take you straight to Luke chapter 14, and I'm actually going to read a little bit of this. Here's what happens. You know, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he looks at them, and, and basically you can read in some Bibles, it'll have these uh, headlines, and this is called The Cost of Discipleship. And remember, this is about helping develop you as not only being discipled, but you absolutely learn how to disciple, which is what we are called to do. It says this, 
Luke chapter 14, verse 25, large crowds were now traveling with Jesus and he turned and said to them, so he's not just talking to disciples, but there's this huge crowd. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Let me ask you this question, and that is verses 25 through 27. Does that sound comfortable to you? Matter of fact, is the cross comfortable? Was the cross comfortable for Jesus? Was there anything comfortable about the cross? The answer is no. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. There's nothing comfortable about the cross. And what happens is, is in our brain and the way our culture is today, the Greek culture is all about was all about pursuing knowledge to better yourself and in essence to make yourself feel more comfortable. Does that sound familiar? Do we have things in our society and do we set up our lives to feel more comfortable? Think about it. Think about what you do with your life. Think about what you do with your money. Think about how you plan your time. Are you planning it around your entertainment and your comfort? I'm not saying that there's not times to step back and have a little comfort just to take a relaxation moment. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do things that are that are not, you know, we shouldn't ever not have fun. I'm not saying that at all. But it needs to be done in the proper perspective, doesn't it? And it certainly does not need to be sitting on the throne of our hearts. When we put comfort and entertainment and pleasure and all the things of this world on the throne, eventually what we're doing is we're worshiping our flesh and we're worshiping ourselves. What a weapon of the enemy. It is. And we have to be cautious with this. And really what this stems from is when we are not doing what we're supposed to do. If you dial it back to King David, you know, what got him into trouble with basically adultery and murder? It started with the fact that he was not doing what he was supposed to do. He was, he got comfortable is what he did. I mean, it's pretty obvious when you read it, what he decided to do was to stay back when the kings were off to war. He's like, man, I don't have to go. You know what? We got this licked. Uh, we got this God thing down. We got this warrior thing down. We got all this. I'm just checking off my boxes and man, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hang out here. I'm just going to live the good life. I mean, he had all his concubines and wives and all this other stuff, but guess what? What happens is when you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And I promise you, God, during these times were probably when he was doing what he's supposed to do. God is working in him. He's training him. He's making him, he's, he's basically structuring him more and more to be more like him. That's what he was doing. I mean, he even called David a man after his own heart. But as soon as David pulled away and wasn't doing what he was really supposed to be doing, and he steps away from that training, from that testing, guess what? He wants to be comfortable, and this leads to things. It truly does. It leads to him seeing Bathsheba, and it leads him to lusting after her in his heart, forgetting God for the moment, and then sins for her and then sleeps with her. And guess what? Now we got a problem, don't we? Because she gets pregnant. Can't hide this. And I kind of wonder sometimes if God wasn't involved in making sure she got pregnant. Because he wasn't going to let David run from this. And he wanted to, I think he wanted to, I think he was testing David even through that to see if he would step up and be honest about what happened. And that included to Bathsheba's husband. And that included to the prophets. That included to the people that were subordinate to him. You see, there was one pr problem for David in all this. 
other than God, there was one guy in all the land that really was not subject to him. Okay? And that was the prophet. See, God does, he would design that, he designed it the way Israel was, and the kings would get mad at the prophets, but the truth was, is the prophets were kind of a separate entity. And they were there to represent God and God's voice to everyone, to all of Israel. And it was sort of that accountability for a king so that they couldn't have total control. And not even see, and and in and in their mind, they would physically have somebody there that could hold them accountable. Now we obviously see all kinds of issues and kings trying to kill prophets and queens and all this stuff. And and you can go through Israel's history and you can see the roller coaster ride that that is. I'm not going to get into all the details of that here, but think about it. That prophet was there to keep them accountable. That's what prophets were, and quite frankly. That's what they've been throughout history. In in some ways, Jesus himself, when he keeps talking to these Pharisees, he's kind of that prophet that's holding them accountable. And they don't like it. These prophets have this voice, and I don't want to get too much on the side tangent of prophets, but they are God's link of accountability. But in many ways, that's also part of that testing and training. Because they would lend a voice for God to them to help not only direct their steps, but it would. I often wondered, because there was no way everything was recorded in there, that sometimes the instructions were partly embedded in them as ways of training and as ways of connecting to God in a closer way for the kings and even for the people. You know, These prophets could be used in all kinds of different ways by God. They were basically his voice of truth through a person. And so, of course, the prophets were supposed to be completely surrendered to God, and they walked with him, and they weren't, you know, they had almost a different set of rules of living in a way. But when they would speak, they would speak on God's behalf and because God was putting things in their hearts to speak. And I often think a lot of that was the training and that was the testing in different ways. And sometimes these prophets would, God would put riddles in their heart and things and they would come out and say that. So my point is this, is God has always had that buffer of testing and training. But here's my question. See, we have the Holy Spirit inside us and we are the temples of God. Are we willing to become that complete open vessel of training and testing? I mean, are we? Are we willing to be tested by the Spirit? Are we willing to be trained? In the last episode, if you look in the notes, I I make a statement. What is your go-to when things are happening in your life? Whether they're good, bad, neutral, boring, exciting, I mean, whatever. What is your go-to? What does your heart automatically go to? You see... This is why you need training, because your body and your brain are made in a certain way. You have nerves, and you guys probably understand that you have a nervous system, and you know you have the neurons, and how everything, how all the information transfers back and forth from the brain to your body and back to the brain. Well, you have this thing called myelin, all right. And I'm not going to get in depth and detail, but basically, what happens is, is myelin are kind of those pathways which things flow. All right, which all that information flows. And when you practice something, those those walls get thicker, they they develop more. It's almost like think of it this way, it's almost like a highway. You might have a little one-lane road with the bridge to help the traffic. Well, eventually if you practice enough, you can turn that thing into a 10-lane superhighway. 
and that information is more automatic. Well, if we're practicing God enough and we're allowing ourselves to be trained enough and we're willing to spend enough time with God, we'll turn those particular parts of our body and our brain and those neurons, we'll, we'll myelinate them in a way because we practice so much. There'll be 10 lane superhighways of nothing but godly information back and forth. You know, God made you in a certain way and he made me in a certain way. And it was basically to connect with him. Think about it. The very basic biology, the neuron, is designed for you to connect to God and to practice connecting to God all the time in all these different ways. But you have to be willing to be trained. If the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart, do you expect a positive result every time, like in the human standard? Like it's going to lead to some, and let me rephrase it, like it's going to lead to some big reward? Because I think a lot of people do. And when it doesn't happen, they get disappointed. You know what? I think God does that for a reason. He's testing you. (laughs) He's also training you. He's trying to get you to realize that walking with him is a moment by moment thing. It's not a, I do something and I get this big reward every time. Like it's Santa Claus or Christmas morning or, you know, it's, it's my birthday every day. That's not the way life works. And sometimes life is not fun, but we need the training. We need the training. We absolutely do. And If we're not willing to be trained by God, if we're not open, not only to his rebuke, but to his discipline, we're never going to develop the connection inside of our biology like we're supposed to. He created your biology to connect to him in every way, shape, and form. Think about that. And then also think about it in the opposite terms. When you're doing other things that are opposite of God or opposite of connecting to God, what does that look like? So you're actually developing patterns inside yourself and you're myelinating patterns inside yourself and in your thinking and in your action that are having you go the opposite direction of God. You know, you can study things like the pleasure pain, pleasure pain principle that will help you understand what draws you in and what pushes you away. Well, sometimes I think God introduces pain and wants something to be painful because he's not only testing you, he's testing your heart. But he also wants to see how you'll respond and if you'll keep turning to him. And you'll reform, you'll remyelinate, so to speak, train yourself that even in pain, it may still be God doing this, but yet you're gonna and you're gonna still pursue him in that. See, God wants you to learn to pursue him in every aspect of your life. And if you turn back to Deuteronomy eight and nine, God is really training these guys. I mean, he really is. Well, he does the same to us. And if you continued on reading Deuteronomy chapter 9, what you're going to get is that he's going to talk about the situation with the golden calf. See, that's where he explains why they're partly why they're stiff-necked people. And he gives a lot of instruction inside of that. You started if you start with verse 7 and you go to the end to verse 29, you get a sense of how well God understands them. He understands their psychology. He also understands their training. He also understands what their habits are. You see, you've got to understand these little things inside you because it's great to come to salvation, but discipleship, I like the fact that discipline and discipleship, those words are very similar in spelling, and they start the same way. They start with disc. They start with the word disc, and so they're very similar. Discipleship and discipline just work together. They're they're almost the same thing. You have to have immense discipline to be able to disciple. You do. But what I am going to tell you is this. 
you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to be some perfect person who's had this perfect life to disciple others. I can name, I can run off a list of names and prove that to you. You could have been the worst, most hideous human being you could ever imagine and you can turn into a disciple for Jesus Christ. It's open to anyone who chooses to follow him. You know, I had somebody that I know one time, the Holy Spirit put on his heart. He, he actually, he felt the Holy Spirit speaking to him. And he asked the question, he goes, why did you select me? Was I your first choice? And the Holy Spirit put in his heart, no, you were the one that was willing. You were the one that was willing. And I've actually read that in other accounts as well. The person that is willing to be trained and tested and is willing to do it is the one God will use. And many times it's not God's first selection. It's not that perfect person. Okay, so you have to understand that, that we're, we're all being called. Are you hearing his voice? Are you willing to be tested and are you willing to train? And, and I'm going to tell you right now, training is difficult. It is. Think about getting your body in shape. Let's say you're way out of shape and everything and all of a sudden uh, you've got forced into this prize fight with this good fighter. Well, you don't want to go in there and get your tail kicked. So you have to train. So you can go watch the Rocky movies. You know, that kind of give you a visual of what it is. I mean, he had to train hard. In that first movie, he was way out of shape. He runs the first time he gets out and run. I mean, it just it's, it looks horrible. It looks hideous. But by the time he gets the end, he can, he can run. He's lifting. He's stronger. He's getting faster. His body's getting in shape. You get to Rocky II, and he gets even better shape. And I know it's a movie, but it really illustrates the point. And our human body works that way. The harder he worked, the better he got. It's true. You have to work hard at your relationship with God. you got to be willing to pursue him too. See, God did not just create us to love us. He created us to love him back. And this plan of discipleship and understanding and us being discipled and being trained and tested so that eventually we can disciple, that is what we are ultimately called to do. More than your job, more than your mortgage, more than the house that you live in, more than... Anything that you have, there is nothing in your life, honestly, that is more important than you learning how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because it's what he called you to do. Think about it. If God is the most important relationship you have through Jesus Christ, and this is the ultimate calling that he has called everybody to do, and yet you put your focus on everything else and you neglect this and don't ever work at it, don't ever think about it, are you really serving God? Is that really the power of the gospel? The harvest is there. It is. It's ripe. It's rich. It's deep. It's huge. But the workers are few. Are you willing to listen to the voice of God? Are you willing to train? Are you willing to surrender yourself to a level that you will do whatever he asks you, no matter what the result, no matter what the earthly reward is, knowing that your heavenly reward will far outweigh anything you get on earth? Are you so attached to the world that when he does when, when he puts something on your heart, you do it. If you don't get some big reward, then nah, it's not God. I've seen this happen time and time again, and people just fade away easily. They're not willing, number one, to walk with God no matter what, and their heart's being tested, just like God tested the Israelites, and they're failing it because they, have, they are attached to the wrong thing. See, it goes back to that attachment principle. What your heart is attached to will eventually come out because God's going to test it, and when he gets tested, what you're attached to will ultimately turn out to how far you'll go. If you're attached to the things of this world, eventually those things that you're attached to will override anything that's coming from God. But if you're not, you will follow God to the end. Because you, if you make him the primary and permanent attachment in your life and all these other things, you keep them as temporary 
And you may have to be a little attached to some things that God calls you to. We get that. But they're secondary attachments. That primary attachment is God. And when he calls, you do exactly what he says. You follow him no matter what. So what we're going to do here is in this next episode, episode 14, I'm going to specifically dive in to nothing but training and testing. And we're going to we're going to break that down and, and tell you exactly what it looks like. We gave you some of that biology and why and how God developed you to be to have that done with you. Now we're going to talk to you about each step of the way with testing and training because this is so important to us. If we're not willing to spend the time with God and be tested and trained and have that process work through, then we're going to end up just exactly like the Israelites who he had to remove them out, all of them, the ones that had come out of Egypt, he had to remove every single one of them so that he could accomplish what he wanted to once they crossed the Jordan. I mean, even Moses was not allowed to cross. And because he still had a little bit too much of that Egyptian culture in his heart, and it had been proven. It had been. And God was like, no, you can't. I got to get rid of all of it. Can't have the Egyptian culture over here when we cross because... It does not glorify me. See, at the end of the day, what discipleship does, we do it in a way we glorify God. It's all about glorifying God. Our primary attachment and our reward is about glorifying God. It's not about what we receive. And that is the concept that we really learn learn to embrace. We're going to dive deeper into this into the next episode. Until next time, go forth in total surrender to the one who owns and reigns in all of creation.